I'm Sandra Patel-Stewart, CEO of Transition Partners. And I'm Ellie Nettleton, Managing Director. Welcome back to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. This season, we're super excited. We're going to be focusing on how leaders embed a positive organisational culture. We are very lucky here to have some amazing speakers for you tonight. Um, Surat's actually been on the podcast before, so it's lovely to have you back. Why don't you start? Five years as well, so we started out five years ago. And I, my story, I joined Hippo five years ago when it was a very, in its infancy, I think I was Hippo number seven. And yes, we call ourselves Hippos. <laughs> so just to say it's all right, nobody's offended by it. If, well, if you join Hippo, you don't get offended by it in that context. Uh, around that. So yeah, my journey into digital and technology, um, I, my background is public sector. I worked in welfare predominantly for nearly 30 years, just short of 30 years. So I missed my congratulations letter, um, which I still regret. Um, and really my, uh, my roles have been really around like kind of, as well as doing frontline delivery and working in, working f facing outwards to our citizens, I've done a lot of work around project management, organisational design, internal consultancy solve a problem, help them solve that problem. Uh, very, very exciting roles, quite frustrating roles. And I was around at the time that agile and digital design was introduced into public sector, government digital services work that I think a lot of people are familiar with. And that was like a light bulb moment for me because I suddenly found how technology could actually and digital could actually help change people's lives. You know, and if you see the way that that's transformed citizens' experiences, often for us, going through very vulnerable experiences in their lives, I think has been quite a, for me, it was just a light bulb moment really. Ah, here's the thing I can actually make a difference and actually impact somebody at the end. Um, and obviously then, you know, that opened up an opportunity for me to actually then leave the public sector and join, join the consultancy as well. So it's, it was a career changing moment for me around that. So that's my story into tech really. Love that. Great. Stat. Um, so I feel a little bit like the imposter um, <laughs> in terms of my journey into tech. So um, interesting about Surat's story about university. I was telling one today um, about <coughs> somebody at work who's on an accountancy course and how challenging they're finding that because of the lack of personality they saw in that. And when I went to university, I just done my ALA was in a very quick fashion a year just so I could leave to go to university and one of the A-levels I got an A in was accountancy. I went and did an accountancy degree and I basically knew very quickly it wasn't for me. So in the end of the first year I was I pretty much spoiled my exam results and got a zero. But somehow in the summer I managed to convince <coughs> the university Sheffield Hallam to actually not only readmit me but readmit me into the second year of the HND. I don't know how I did it. And I guess that was the early stages of me recognising that probably a career somewhere leaning towards people and sales was where I was going. Anyway, I did a business management degree, had some debt, got into recruitment, um, <laughs> spent a lot, a lot of time in technology recruitment, worked for a few companies for about seven or eight years, started my own business um, in technology recruitment in Leeds, ran that for 11 years. When I sold my shares to my business partner, I was looking for something different, um, started a business that I felt very passionate about and still do at the time. It was all about 
health and well-being and sustainability. So I started an online food delivery business called Lean Lunch. Um, and I started that from the perspective of it was the hardest and thing to do and the least something I knew the least about. So we did everything from I trained in a chef's with a chef. I um, we created the menu. We built an e-commerce website. We bought cargo bikes and sort of fitted out a unit in Kirkstall and we did the whole thing end to end. We didn't outsource anything. We grew it to a point of uh, getting a, a private investor involved. End of 2019, March 20, we lost all of our customers overnight because obviously every business in Leeds shut. We tried to, you know, dumb down for what we thought would be a period of time. We, we 24 hours we were going to shut down. We thought let's keep the brand alive and go for home delivery. And that ended up stretching out for a lot longer than we thought. The unit cost of home delivery, the, the model was based on, you know, short delivery, bicycle, high density into the city centre. Once you start going out to home delivery, it's the unit cost, the packaging, everything that goes with that. Then the product starts to lose its value because it's eat fresh, made fresh. You're delivering four boxes instead of one. So for all those right reasons, I, I had to close the business last summer and then I got approached by the founders of a digital technology consultancy called Axiologic who had asked me to join when they founded the business but I wanted to do my lean lunch. Anyway, they were growing but coming out of the pandemic and just wanted to scale the business up so I joined them on an interim basis in August, September last year. Not because I've got an expertise in technology but because I understand some of the drivers behind growing a business and if I was going to choose my passion above anything else it would be people. Great to have you here as well because obviously your, your background is particularly interesting like you say. So Liz, a big part of leadership is encouraging and influencing others. What are you doing at Hippo to solve the digital skills gap and inspire those to get into tech? Well that's a really nice easy intro question, <laughs> solving the digital skills gap. I, I mean it's really uh, I think, and I, I think that's an interesting, that's a problem that we're all facing, right, in, the, in this industry, really how we grow our skills and technology. And for us, there's a number of things that we do as we've grown and scaled the business as well. So part of that has been about hiring people with different levels of experience and helping them to grow as individuals. So, you know, have faith in that, you know, you don't, might not get a fully formed consultant. They might need growth and support around that piece. Um, but particularly for us around skills gap has been about our, the biggest sort of, um, enabler for us has been the academy that we launched mm -hmm. this year so so whilst you're you know you can hire a fully a fully formed consultant really unless you're going to invest in that capability so this year we're looking at we'll have delivered I think we'll be putting 40 people through the academy across a range of professions and that's from career changers right through to kind of more graduate entrance type people as well so that's that's something we're trying to do is like how do you grow your own talent and try and get those people and give them the support that they need and develop that program. And that's been developed by our consultants as well. That's been internally developed by the people who do the job and know what they're doing. So the academy is one area we look at um, as well in terms of encouragement. Obviously, it's so competitive at the moment. And for us, it is about just trying to kind of provide an offer for people in the company where they can, they can grow and take opportunities as well around that piece. Um, in that in that area so I mean this, this for, for us it's you know the challenge here is it's it's a problem we, we should we collectively need to solve I think as an organization mm -hmm. uh, and I know we, you know we'll probably come on to that a bit later on but you know as ever I think we're you can bring people in with a level of talent and capability you can help them to grow um, but equally you've got to, you've got to give them something tangible to stay around you've got to make it worthwhile them staying around and the package you put together um, around that piece but and I think look we 
part of that for us as well is about the locations we go to, where we move and grow to, how we adapt our model now that we're in a much more hybrid model of delivery, mm -hmm. being more flexible and open about working conditions and things like that and working patterns as well. Um, but the academy and the learning programme that we put together along with our skills framework has probably been the key enabler for us um, around that and as well. Great, and it's great that you've done that so successfully as well because I think as a consultancy, and this is a challenge you're all probably facing, is to the billability aspect and you haven't got the end it's not the end user you haven't got the same sort of like capability to be able to have someone specialist within the organization and then move into yeah, longer I, mean, terms yeah. I mean it's you know people fundamentally and you you, you know we've talked you, you mentioned about people that's that's the services that we're delivering yeah. whether you've got product yeah. or not you're, it's about the people that you're hiring and they are you know and the services they're delivering for, for the end customer as well and you're right there's You've got to balance that utilisation and the economic model of the business. Mm -hmm. But equally for us, it's really important that we, we give people time to grow and develop when they're with us. So a really structured learning programme, yeah. empowered to develop their own learning and encouraged to do that as well. And we put in quite a lot of structure, but that's been about trying to support individuals around line management, peer networks, professions. You know, it becomes kind of, it perpetuates, it, it grows and evolves around that. So it's really been quite important but equally we've got a big role to play in the community mm, i think definitely, mm, definitely. So, according to statistics 72 percent of leaders believe their technology skills gap has increased over the past 12 months what is axiologic doing to invest in their people's professional development longer term um so what i didn't actually talk about when i was introducing myself was axiologic from a year ago to now so axiologic a year ago was around 45 resources predominantly the founders with a few permanent staff and then a lot of associates or contractors as we call them. And the journey from there to now has been to establish a, um, essentially a footprint and office with people that are permanently employed and therefore create more of a, a culture around what Axiologic is above and beyond uh, the founders. So there's now about 110 resources, still heavily weighted towards associates and contractors, but we've been hiring about two permanent people monthly, so it's about 24 now in mm -hmm. terms of permanent. In terms of um, how we look after people, that's because of where, where the business was 12 months ago, it wasn't on the agenda, and now it's on the agenda. It's a journey that we're going on, and part of that is understanding what people want and need and part of that is thinking how that meets the objectives of axiologic um, there's a very generous um, training budget which their people as Liz said want to be empowered to be involved with um, so there's that which isn't any different than I think existed for a long time in technology for a lot of people so I think a lot of the other investment you need that, that's being thought through is about the environment and the culture um, because the industry itself as well is um, I think a lot of organizations in this sector um, they look after their staff in terms of remuneration mm -hmm. and benefits and I think they provide a good place to work and I think a lot of those needs are met it's not it's not difficult generally to find that now in the industry per se so it's about thinking what is it people want above and beyond mm -hmm. that and there's a point whereby an individual's happiness isn't going to improve just by throwing more uh, capital investment, whether that's 
salary or, or training. Sometimes people don't always want training as well. So mm -hmm. I think there's a more of an open question that we're looking at is what else is there that people want? And that comes really back down to culture. And you have to think about that around the value. So I think it's a journey we're going on. Um, and the key thing is trying to listen to what feedback we're getting because you're going to make mistakes on the way. So what I know they do very well is pay people well. But like I say, do people leave jobs necessarily anymore at the moment in this industry for money? I'm not sure they do. I think they probably leave because they're unhappy with other reasons. Things have that initial discussion of interest from our perspective, obviously, in recruitment. It's never the actual financial side of it, is it? There's always something underneath so like you say it's good that you have keep those lines of communication as the team grows and get lots of general feedback about what investment they want from the organization it's a good way to do it yeah you've got to you've got to be prepared to listen and you've got to be prepared to take feedback and i think that's the thing that's important so you're open to the idea that somebody doesn't agree with everything that you think is great um so um <laughs> So just see it as a journey and, and keep working on that is, is really part of the process. Definitely. Sarat, becoming a great leader is really an ongoing process. We all know that. As a founder and a leader, what are you doing to ensure you continue to grow and develop personally? Re really good question. I think one of my philosophies and I think, you know, the way when you think about my engineering mindset, and I think one of the if you think about how engineers look at you know improvement or, or, or the way they grow, the whole engineering mindset is about growth, right? You're constantly mm -hmm. challenging yourself, and I think you know I, I believe engineers will make great leader, leaders, but you've got to obviously you know transition into some of the other skills that isn't just about problem solving. I think uh, Liz and Sat made great points, you know, in terms of culture, understanding the value of that. Um, I think from a personal perspective, I think there are probably three things I do uh, in terms of growing as a leader. The first thing is mentorship. I think, you know, when you get to a position of a leader, I think there is this general, uh, I guess, consensus that you know everything and, you know, like you don't need anybody to tell you what to do. Uh, I mean, that can't be further from the truth. You know, I wake up every day and I make stuff up all the time. Um, uh, you know, but but I think what, what keeps me grounded is that, you know, I reach out to mentors and, and I work, you know, I've got, a, I've got something called the personal advisory board. So yeah. I've got like uh, a mentor that's the chair of the board. I've got a friend who's a peer. So almost I, I build out that personal advisory board as you would build out the board of directors. Okay. So like you have a non-exec, um, I have a non-exec that's my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I have people, uh, I have a CEO that's a peer of my, you know, companies. So you almost pepper it with people with diverse experiences uh, and, you know, people who've done more than you, less than you. I've actually got one of my employees on that board. Mm -hmm. So really trying to build out a diverse set of perspectives in terms of challenging yourself as a leader, um, in terms of growth. Then I read a lot. I think, you know, this, this, there's a lot of good literature in terms of, um, you know, wh wh where, where the information is coming from. And I think, you know, particularly in the last two decades, I remember when I started the company 15 years ago, there was a lot of starting around the new form of management and leadership. Mm -hmm. If you looked at management in the 90s and Jack Welch from the GE, management was managers. It was about managers and managing. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly in the early 2000s, I think it started changing into 
much more of the cultural aspect of managing and, and the servant leadership model. So, you know, I, I read a lot. Um, and the third thing is, you know, other, other than mentorship is, is interfacing with people, right? I mean, interfacing with my team, interfacing with events, networks, etc. I think there's always places you can learn from to think that, you know, for example, this is a tech event and it's great, but I tend to attend events that aren't about tech. You know, I tend to attend events that are about arts and culture, etc. And then you've got to keep an open mind as a leader because actually some great ideas that we've had in our company haven't come from tech. It's yeah. actually come from manufacturing or retail or etc. And it's trying to bring that diverse experiences in. Well, now you said that, I'm going to ask for an example. Uh, no, that's a, <laughs> no, no, I, I think no, the great. That sounds great. Um, one of the ones that I think, you know, I mean, lots of other people have done it, so it's not something that we've done unique is mm. uh, the, 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 the Anon Cord model that Toyota, you know, the, the Kaizen way of doing things. Um, we always talked about it. And, you know, you, you see, when, when you set up a company and you found it, you, you, you know, you feel like, you know, you think we've got a great culture, everybody can raise concerns, etc. But actually what happens is as you build layers of management, Inevitably, because of the inertia of how the business runs and people at the lowest level do not have the mechanisms to raise something up to the CEOs. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, in the, if you look at the Toyota model, anybody can pull the, you know, uh, the cord and basically stop the production line. And so we, we translate that into, into a digital tool where effectively anybody who saw if a project was failing or there was a challenge could anonymously raise that concern. Right. And I would make a commitment to deal with it individually as a CEO. And, and that's when we started the whole feedback loop of listening to our team. We do that now every week. So people get to you know raise feedback loops. And I mean, we talk about employee engagement. Now it's a big industry, but 15 years ago it wasn't. And we were doing that 15 years ago in terms of actually getting employees to raise these concerns and have that conversation. I love that, perfect. There is going to be an opportunity as well for you, to, you guys to ask some questions. So we'll do a live Q&A as well for at some point for you to go through some of your own personal questions. Liz, so consultancies are notoriously famed for hiring real specialists uh, within their markets. Are HIPPO more frequently interested in experts or T-shaped individuals? And why is that? Okay, I mean, I've got loads of questions, so I'm definitely for later. But I think, <laughs> I think one thing we're really clear about is we are a consultant first. Yeah business and that means we're there to solve a problem um, we absolutely do hire for skills but if you're a researcher and you can't do your job because there's a blocker somewhere else where that we can help with that as well so the whole point we encourage all our consultants to get actively involved in the whole delivery um, and there are some people that we hire who are absolute deep specialists in what they do and they are there to mentor and support their peers and their wider group so somebody who wants to whether it's engineering or research or design or interaction design, uh, and they're really important. And a lot of our, but a lot of our consultants want to be T-shaped. Uh, and there's a natural thing with some roles where you've got a really strong analyst who is a brilliant product person, right? In or an engineer who's a, who's got a tech lead can actually step into tech lead, but equally has an architecture sort of bent to them. So we we do actually encourage that. What's really core for us, what's been a real key development as we've grown uh, as a business, is what we have is a skills framework because people want to know. Whilst you, whilst you want them to have that freedom to kind of grow and evolve, they also want to know, right, what's my, what's my route to keep building my career and my skills and profession? Mm -hmm. So our skills frame, framework, uh, we sit a skills framework across every single discipline, and it talks about what's expected at different levels of maturity in that role. Um, but as a thread running through it is a consultancy layer. 
So what does consultancy mean in terms of it? Because for us, we are genuinely, you can hire a great engineer, mm. but if they can't work in a team with a client, if they can't, if they can't collaborate as a team, then it's, uh, you know, for, for us, it's, it's just not going to, it's not going to be the right role for them. It's not going to be the right role for them. So effectively, you know, whilst they, you know, maybe it's not quite a T, but there's a, there's a definite breadth of expectation. Mm. Um, but it, it, so it's, it, there's a couple of things as well to think about within that T-shaped model. The individual you're hiring and what do they want out of the career and where can they grow and to see some of that talent going from being, you know, we've had content designers, brilliant content designers, moving to service design products, leading consultancies, and you know, all those skills that they learn, there's so much they can do. Mm. Um, so it's, all, you know, it's what that individual wants and, and working with their professional group to do that and their portfolio as well. As a client, the client is buying, we, we, what our clients are buying is a team or individuals to come in and solve a problem. And you know, to, to some extent, that's really important that we have that flexibility yeah. as well. And you know, let's economically as well, right? If you've got a good business analyst who can manage the delivery and manage a backlog and a Kanban or whatever, then that's great. You want to be versatile and flexible as well in that delivery as well on that piece. So yeah, really, you know, whether well, they're T-shaped, H-shaped, the M-shaped, there's various models, aren't there? But yeah, I think. Um, we and in answering like the predominant question, do we hire for the skill? We we absolutely do hire for the for the role because that's really important, right? You you are hire for the role as an entry point yeah. with a view that that person will, will grow depending on the level. The yeah, I mean you, you you know you've got to give some something to frame somebody, right? Because mm -hmm. if you don't advert you can't just advertise for general consult. You've got to give somebody needs a frame of reference. You need to access the market. Yeah. They need to be able to you know apply for the jobs and mm -hmm. open up the jobs mm -hmm. as well. Love that. So Sat. Axiologic are super passionate about their head office and home in Leeds, in particular Holbeck, right? As a city, what do you think we can do to support the next generation of tech talent better than we're currently doing? Um, very good question. And um, one that I'm interested in from a perspective, on more than one perspective, but so the Leeds Digital Festival happened recently and a number of you will have attended maybe some events you might have attended an event where Tom Reardon spoke who's the mm -hmm. CEO of Leeds City Council Tom talks very eloquently about uh, he acts as an ambassador for the sector he talks about how good the sector's been for Leeds what it's generated in terms of opportunity wealth growth but he will always footnote that with a mile down the road it's not the same story that hasn't you know we we live in a bubble from a perspective of what exists versus you know if you go to Bermatofs or if you go to Hare Hills or yeah. Gipton or any of these places it's not it's it's not evident that this is a uh, they're benefited from the growth of the digital sector which in my time I've been living in Leeds 22 years has been exponential and mm -hmm. it survived um, downturns recessions and it probably will continue to do so regardless of the situation right now so when you look at so, so answering the question from a sector perspective necessary, and I will come on to the axiologic bit because that's slightly different in a way just simply because of the work we do but I think in terms of what the sector needs to think about, and this isn't going to be solved today or or, or, or this year, but is is about how do we how do we include that part of society mm. in the picture that exists? Because it's getting harder, it's getting tougher. But right now, there's 
there's a sector which could help. Mm -hmm. um, don't ask me how, exactly how, I don't have that answer for, for, for it, but there's got to be a route. So, we, we, the, so what we helped, tried to help with recently was to do some talks for people around um, the sector and breaking the myths of, for example, do you need to do a degree? to get into technology. Now, <coughs> bearing in mind the cost of a degree, I mean, I was at an event this morning for the Leeds Community Foundation, and the lady from Leeds Beckett there was talking about they've got 50% more cancellations of, they try and generate a lot of students locally. They're big on driving, because it's cheaper to send your, if you're in one of these communities where you, don't, you can't afford to send your son daughter to a university away from Leeds mm -hmm. then Leeds Beckett is really encouraging it because you can live at home reduce the cost <coughs> but you've still got to pay the fees but as a result of everything that's happened just in the last two months mm -hmm. they've had a 50% increase in cancellation because of the fear because of the costs and that's but that's also maybe predicated on the fact that it's aspiration opportunity that people need and want now there's got to be a route into the digital sector that can solve the need for a degree for these people that need it the most, mm -hmm. I think, moving forwards. So there's that, and then there's, from an axiologic perspective, the difficult part of that simply is the business itself in terms of what Liz was talking about, the services and products it commercially offers clients. It's classed as a leadership consultancy, it's about client-side delivery partner, mm -hmm. so it's about placing people alongside the sort of strategic leadership, the decision-making teams, and quite often, so we're not in a build, we're not a BGSS where we build technology so we grow big teams of building. In fact, very often they're the third party we're managing. We're looking at outcomes and deliverables. So it's not an easy entry point for somebody with no experience. So I think there's an aspiration in the next, say, two, three, four years to move towards a model where that can happen, but I still suspect it would need to be someone that's had some level of experience. There's some great organisations like Generation UK, uh, amongst others, that are trying to encourage this. Some brilliant academies like Liz has talked about out there. There's definitely an intention, um, but it would be good if we could do more as an industry, mm -hmm. and I think hopefully Axiologic will play a part in that. Sarah, soft skills are just as important as technical skills. Which soft skills do you feel are paramount for individuals looking to succeed in the tech industry? Good question. Although in my experience, I take issue with the word soft skills. I think they find they're the hard skills, yeah. to be honest. Um, and I think that is a big challenge for us. You know, I think Liz was talking greatly about an academy and, you know, how you build that out. And I think, you know, we, we've just started looking at that, bringing graduates in. And I think what universities are doing really well in some cases, you know, not, not overall, is preparing people for the technical skills, yeah. but the basic skills of, you know, we, we are a digital product studio, so a lot of what we do is design, build, et cetera. And actually where you find the problems that occur aren't in the code, aren't in the design, et cetera. And it's, it's basic skills of negotiation, presentation, um, you know, uh, commerciality, you know, yeah. understanding uh, basic business models. And I think, you know, Sats made a great point about inclusion, right, in terms of uh, sometimes I think we live in a bubble in tech, right? I mean, we were talking about, you know, cost of living crisis, et cetera. 
most of my team probably won't feel it as much as everybody else. So, you know, it, it's, it's that, it's, it's those skills like empathy, for example, you know, et cetera. And particularly, you know, in, in that graduate, in that academy program. And I think when we started it, we made the kind of typical mistake, I think, of it's all about teaching them, you know, like yeah. Swift or Kotlin or rotating them around project management, et cetera. And they did that really well. And then they ended up on a client or, and then it was really difficult for them because, you know, they, they knew how to do the work, but they didn't know how to communicate it, how to present it, how to negotiate, how to deal with problems, how to deal with peers, how to give feedback, etc. So I think, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, thinking and thought process in, from, from organizations now is actually a lot of that training and a lot of the support you need to provide are on the soft skills or the hard, hard skills um, side of things. So for me, the top three in my experience looking at graduates that are coming out of the industry uh, is definitely customer focus. I yeah. don't think, I think a lot of, of the graduates that come in my business think they work for Hedgehog Lab, not for our customers. Yeah. And I think it's just actually understanding that customer focus. Um, you know, working working in teams, I think again, it sounds so obvious because a large part of university is working in teams, but you don't have to deal with the dynamics of, you know, potentially, you know, your job being on the line or a performance target being met, et cetera. So I think working in teams and high performing teams is one of my real passions in terms of what we tend to do both in the business and with customers. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, the final one is just communication and presentation skills. We take it for granted, and I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years. We take it for granted, but I think, you know, the universities are not equipping people with those skills to really go into the real world of business and try and engage with real world customers, real world products, real world teams. Definitely love that. Liz, I always think we learn a lot from people we've worked with positively and negatively in the past, but can you tell us about a prior manager or leader that that you worked with that left a specifically positive like imprint yeah, on you and yeah, was, what you learned? Yeah, I think, yeah, I was, you know, it, this is always one I reflect on because I think about, I've, I've worked with some amazing people. I've been very mm -hmm. fortunate in my career to work with some very, I've had very, I've had some negative impre impressions left on me, but you learn from those as well. Um, if I, more, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think for me, one of the, one of the key moments for me was working for, it, and actually it links to the, what we were saying earlier about like that move from management to leadership. So this is back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, when I, I had no idea what, management or leadership was I was just entering into in my little 20s was like have I got a career or am I in a job mm. do I actually want to do something because I'd entered the, my, you know, I didn't understand kind of where I wanted to be I'd not been to university and things like that and I had a, a she was the manager of the team um, but actually she was empowering again I didn't even know what empowerment was then and I don't think we even talked about it in those days but but I, I Kind of, I'd worked with a very command and control structure. Mm. You did a task, you delivered that task, and even in leadership, even in management roles, it was pretty much do the job you need to do, and here are the tools, and here's the process. But actually, she was the first person that really created an environment uh, where you were empowered and trusted, um, and very much worked. It became a very support relationship, not a dictated relationship. She listened and engaged with the work that I did. It was my first entry into sort of project work. But her whole approach was about building the team, about hiring great people, helping them to grow, addressing performance. Um, and it was a really kind of, it was seat of your pants delivery we were doing then in government. We had to get a product out the door, paper out the door within mm -hmm. about six months. We had to you know, turn policy into something transactional. 
Um, and it was really interesting. She was just, she created such an amazing environment around that and really challenged me. And at that point represented kind of like, for me, it was she was somebody I could say, that's the sort of person, that's the sort of person I want mm -hmm. to be. I want to kind of emulate that, those are the te techniques. And uh, I think right through my career, that's probably the one point where I thought, actually, I can do something different. I don't, I'm not just going to have, I'm not going to just go into a job where I'm just going to do my nine to five um, and I can do that. And I think that's where it's been that, uh, and, and it's almost made me identify those people that could challenge me right through my career. So I've always, we've talked about like having your advisory board, which I think is a brilliant idea, yeah. but equally finding your mentors and your peers uh, through that. And, you know, for me, Sadie kind of like set that whole context for me around, around that. And, I, you know, right through, I've always ended up working for leaders, if I'm lucky, who will challenge me a little bit. Uh, but equally support me as well um, around that piece. So, yeah, it's, it, that, that's probably the one moment. That was a very long time ago, and I can't believe I remembered it as well, which yeah, is like... Yeah, it shows you, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It does, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think we've all had those moments, right? Yeah. And we'll equally... And those are the ones to remember when you're equally remembering the ones that you never want to kind of... Exp the, you don't want... You never want others to experience that as well. Let's run out of battery. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you. Sat? How do we encourage inclusivity in digital and ensure people are empowered to learn about it, regardless of location? Um, so I touched on this, obviously, in my last answer. Mm. I, um, so as I read the questions you sent me, but <laughs> um, perhaps I've answered them all in one go. Maybe you could just, um, so um, so I, I think um, there's a lot of very capable um people very bright people mm. in Leeds and I think there's a real sense of community that exists and I think leadership if you're gonna you know this is about leadership this podcast and I think to some extent leadership is important I think we need to start thinking about um, values around that and what is it we want to see so for me I think society sh is a mic you know a, a an individual should reflect society and what you want to, what do you want society to be? What do you want your company to be? What do you want that to be like? And I think if you think about that and think about values, it's hard to get away from a lot of the things that are missing at a very macro level right now, which is kindness and compassion and empathy. And actually realizing <coughs> if, we, if we had those values at the heart of a lot of what we do, as individuals, as citizens, as as employees, leaders, politicians, doesn't matter who we are, if that was our proposition, our values, then I think we'd build a better mm. world, right? Mm. So for me, <coughs> we start we have to start with values because I don't know how to architect the model to say how do I take a person uh, a young child who's in a poor deprived area struggling with the whole notion of food heat education all those basic human factors mm -hmm. that we take for granted to a point of succeeding in a uh, in a industry like digital but what i do believe is if we start with values and we all agree and corral around that problem and there's a will behind that and even if it starts small let's say it starts within the community of digital in Leeds 
I believe there's got to be there's got to be something good that comes from that, and there's got to be a route forward. Because I mean, if you were to go into any big digital consulting office, you would see a whiteboard full of post-it notes trying to architect the solution to a complex problem. Mm. <laughs> so we have the capacity to solve problems. What we need to come back to is what is it? What is our? What do we value? What do we want to? You know, there, there is no. It's clearly not going to be solved from above us. So it's incumbent on us to think about what we can do mm-hmm. to help towards solving that. I'd and like that's to say we've got a good, a good local community for that, but there's just so much that we need to do and that's just a start. I think one of the things, and this is very evident right now, and it was mentioned at the event this morning, and this is very natural, is fear. When the situation is right now and the bombardment of and, and Surat touched on this, the cost of living crisis and, you know, black, potential blackouts and, and all these things that we're being told. Mm. Our human nature is fear. But the reality of the position is the cost of living crisis is not going to really even nibble the edges of most people in the middle classes of digital, you know, sector. So... Once you ex- once, that's, that's just the honest truth. Yeah, you might have to cut back on certain things in your lives, but you are not going to face the issues that other people face. Yeah. So if we stop fearing what might happen and start think, stepping up, so, so it happens because they were talking about the reduction in philanthropy that happens now. They were talking yeah. about the reduction of funds that go into, you know, because we have this fear. And I think we need to step away from fear and step into, like, what can we do? What is it we can do? And it's just a, it's a values and wills thing because I honestly believe most people care, really, and I think they just need a, a route. And I think there's an abundance of capability. It's obvious that Leeds has that. And Leeds is built on that as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's built its history on being um, a society built on that and helping. So, so I certainly am not anywhere near qualified enough to come up with a solution mm. but I'm happy to help bang the drum about some of the reasons why we should do it and it's we saw it didn't we during covid and pandemic about how all funds stopped on sort of like apprenticeships graduate hiring everyone panicked didn't they like yeah. it, it, even us as consultancies that was a big part of it wasn't it we couldn't hire at that level because we needed mm. your a team your strongest people biggest billers moving forward and I think it's tough isn't it to not do that again in the current panic that we're all currently in but to ensure that the businesses are still providing opportunity is so important um so hopefully we can all still try and bang the drum for that as well as part of the digital and tech community in Leeds. Sarah how do you how do you acknowledge employee success at Hedgehog Lab? Great question. I, I don't think we're perfect in this. Mm. And I think, you know, we're, we're on a journey in terms of evolving, you know, th- this thinking. One of the fundamental values, I think I, I can give you, you know, I can give you how we do it right now. And, you know, someone can judge if it's great or not. Um, one, one, of the, one of the core tenets of the values that we work with is about teamwork. So while, you know, there are a group of diverse and unique individuals that make up a team, we want to normally celebrate the team's success rather than an individual's success. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, sometimes it creates conflict because if you're elevating employee success as an individual all the time, so we have things you know, like employee of the month, we have 
you know, peer reviews and we have things like, you know, tools where you can give each other praise, etc. I think quite what we saw when we started that was people were being praised for individual brilliance mm -hmm. rather than teamwork. And I think I posted today this idea of like you can have a team of 11 Ronaldos and, and, and win, um, you know, <coughs> at, at a club, uh, at a football match is really difficult. And I think actually what we've started to evolve that is rather than move away, you know, recognizing people are individual and they contribute to your team, we've started to move in terms of celebration. So we, we celebrate success at a team level. So when a project is delivered, there is budget and, and plans in terms of how the team celebrates that success. Mm -hmm. When someone goes out of their way, particularly around those values and team behaviors, they're recognized for that and not recognized, for example, putting a late shift in at work or, you know, really pushing themselves out uh, beyond the limits of reasonability and stuff. So I think the, the bit that's really worked for us and resonated a lot is that we wanted, and I don't think we're perfect in this because ultimately there will be brilliant people that really kind of stand out in that, in that crowd. But what we've been trying to do is build the ethos that you're only successful if your team is successful, mm -hmm. whether that's at the company level, whether that's at the, you know, people team level, HR, whatever, you know, it's very much. And, and I don't think we've perfected it, but really trying to build that model around team success and team collaboration I think is the way, and, and the reality is, if you're an employee, let's say, if, if the people team that we've got is successful, you know, whether it's a recruitment or whatever, you know, what we found is the team success and the recognition actually then filters down to the individual, and where, but where they feel is like, I have contributed, yeah. but I've actually contributed to the team, rather than just ride away by myself like a lone wolf and figure this out. And I think, you know, we're not perfect. I think, you know, that's human nature. We all want individual recognition. Um, and I don't know. I mean, currently my team are not complaining. But do, do, we, do we, you know, do we sometimes go too much towards, you know, the collective versus the individual? I, I don't necessarily know the answer. And I'd welcome ideas from anybody who has found the perfect balance between celebrating individual employee success and acknowledging them, other than the typical metrics of bonuses, salaries, we talked about interesting intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, and I think you'd be, you'd be. I'm open to ideas, but uh, but I think you know the way we currently solve that is to focus on the teams rather than individuals. That's what it's a business, isn't it, to encourage encourage that collaboration. But I guess it's a very personal thing as well, mm -hmm. isn't it? Dependent on the employee. So yeah. that's great, Liz. It'd be good to know if there's any sort of avenues that you're particularly passionate about and that you feel we are really missing a trick to help entice talent into the tech and digital community. I mean, a when a little bit, I think. I think. I mean, ultimately, I think we can all do very practical things around, you know, getting people in at graduate level. Uh, we do quite a lot of engagement at university level. Where we're trying to sort of. I think there's almost two two opportunities for us. And the challenge that comes with that, I think, a little bit. So generally it's about making people aware of the, potent, the, the what's available within this sector across like the, the typical sort of like STEM roles, the engineering technical roles, but equally the, prod, the product management, the delivery yeah. management, and all of the design roles as well. So make it, people aware of those roles. They don't even know it exists. I think people, there's a lack of understanding. Mm. And I think engaging out in the community, into schools, into colleges. So we'll run... Uh, we have a design in a day event, so that introduces people to some of the concepts around uh, evolving products and research. 
we'll run awareness sessions and send our consultants out and you know organizations like ahead partnership who have links into schools you know it's there are vehicles for us to access the, those areas so that's the one thing that we will we'll do quite proactively and sponsor that and support that um, and it's it, it's a real key community sort of element to us in terms of what we work with we work with a couple of local charities as well um, I think the challenge the real challenge is that's too late to some extent that's too late I, you know to, to introduce people to these skills and I think there's a I think there's a real connection needed between education and educational policy and curriculum and how you teach life skills that work the skills that you need and, and so I talked about the how do you you know better communication skills mm -hmm. team working those can be taught to children at any age really you know you take a Lego Lego's great for teaching people how to run sprints and leg and, and all these sort of areas so the, there are tools and techniques you can use so I think you know things like T levels that's being introduced at the moment which is vocational based I think there's a real role for us as a digital community to kind of get on board with that I think there's opportunity yeah, for us to use those qualifications but I'd just like us to see us go get earlier years around how do we start to get access to that how can we work in a curriculum in education which is about to hit let's be honest it's about to hit more challenges it has a heavy curriculum there, there is a task there are tasks they have to do it's going to be really hard to intercept around that so I think it's more about those life skills and coping skills mm. I think that we can we can teach as well so you know I th you know it's a key part I think of our added value and why we one of the reasons the community work that we do our you know uh, is, 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 is one of the reasons people work with us because they get to do things like this right our consultants get to build an academy they get to go out and talk to communities and they like to do that like to share the learning not just with clients but out there as well digital festival all of these sort of things um, so that's, but, but equally I think I think anyway, as I said you know we've got such an important role I think and it's all of these great ideas what we're very poor at is actually how we deploy them because we've all got business to run yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's it's finding those vehicles I think and sometimes you've just got to you can't change educational policy because the minister changes more than anything else sorry that's my political joke gone uh, but equally you know you can do uh, to some extent you've just got to find uh, an opportunity to go in and work with those those certain areas in the community and engage with them I think in that investment. I guess there's probably a bit of a question for all of you is about engaging in later years as well, about getting people into technology. Obviously, as someone who's extremely passionate about women in tech and women on average change careers sort of seven, seven, yeah. up seven times throughout their life. So looking at different avenues, yeah. the potential. I mean, particularly your latest academy. I know you've done prior uh, ones. It's delivery management, right? Whereas our initial academy was a career. It was our first academy, which was across all the range of professions, non technical yeah. we use uh, the code I'm going to say the wrong we, we sponsor one of the code clubs yeah. to bring our engineers in and I knew I'd forget the name of it because it's not North Code is it's the other one alright no no it's not I'll, 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 yeah, it's alright let's not go there yeah. yes, yes, anyway sorry I'm going to be in trouble with our CTO for not knowing the answer to that one and I've now lost my thread so <coughs> yeah that was career changes that was people um, I mean I, you know I think 20 years ago people didn't change careers right the world has you know people I think will be entering higher education later on in their lives yeah. so I think absolutely it's really important to just as important to access that those people with the talent and the skills but they've they've got to you've got to they've got to be made aware of it they've got to have you know again you've got they've got to have entry requirements and things like that so I think there's 
it's not it's not we know this is not a problem that can be fixed yeah yeah and it's vocalizing the opportunities isn't it and i also i think like i think like you said we mentioned so many times didn't we about how we're fortunate that we work in technology and the salaries and benefits and bonuses are part of the industry that we work in it's also about shouting about those opportunities Absolutely. as well isn't it like the financial yeah. that you can progress so quickly and obviously we get to see it day in day out don't we but people yeah, giving it that level of exposure yeah 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 it's really important I think the parallel I always think is the, the, the campaign to recruit teachers, the, those who can teach. Yeah. And you think, that's great. We need more teachers, by the way. And I think one of the ways to solve this is you get more teachers <laughs> to really teach people uh, the education side of thing. But similarly, I mean, I think it was in Leeds, actually. I was walking out a while ago. And I think, was it an organization called TPP? They said 40K graduates, 40K. no, yeah, no experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, you know, and I think if you're a... You know, uh, I mean, my my son's 12 and he's obsessed with like, you know, like he's just trying to get with that educational piece and he's obsessed with first he wanted to be a YouTuber and then he realized that's difficult. And then, you know, it was just a coincidental conversation and he's obsessed with like what tech wages are because I was complaining to my yeah, wife, yeah. like, like we have your pay rises this year, etc. So, 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 but, 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 but that billboard was great. And if yeah, you're, yeah. if you're a young student or whatever I coming agree. out, because you know I'm hearing data in the northeast where I'm based, and it's, there's less and less people going into tech education, STEM education, and that is baffling. You know, considering, like, so the opportunities and the privilege we have generally in tech, yeah. um, with, with what the starting graduate careers are, etc. Um, and I think there is, yeah, there is, whether it's a private sector, public sector, I think there's a bigger education piece around that. Yeah, talking about, talking yeah, about. yeah you agree, it was in Leeds train station, wasn't it, for yeah. years, TPP's yeah. big sign. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great, okay. I guess this is a bit of a question for all of you, really, an open one. What is the best bit of career advice you can offer? Let's go for you, step first. Um, don't be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> would be my first bit of advice. Um, yeah, yeah. There's all, all, all there is a lot of vacant roles. So, um, so I think um, the only, only advice I could try and give, um, and and having uh, being blessed with um, a young family, would be to try and think about what makes you happy. Um, what sort of what do you want to see that's of value to you and understand your values first mm. before it's very but that you know that's a challenging message because of the fact of obviously there's the economic need versus the I want to be happy and these are my values and it's how do you get the intersection of those two so if I was going to be utopian about it and idealistically hopefully it shouldn't be the world that we can be but is that sort of intersection of this is what makes me happy, these are my values, and this is what allows me to live my life. Now, if that's technology, brilliant. If that's art or culture or dance or whatever, I mean, I think you know, they're all story. There's so many stories we should be telling about so many different things, which is why it's interesting. Um, I think Surat was talking about going to different events yeah. to broaden your experience. There's a very good book written called range about how it's very important and it, it basically is trying to break down the myth of the tiger woods model and which is that you need to religiously 
play continuously play golf from a very young age to become the best golfer in the world, which he proved to be the case. But actually, he's run a much wider study with a guy called David Epstein about how the reality is the people that become most successful in, in books called Range end up trying lots and lots of things before they land on something. And I think Roger Federer was an example that is um, the contrast of that and how many different sports. He was actually wanting to be a footballer before he became even bothered about tennis at 16. And that's, I'm using sport, by the way, I'm sorry about that. There's loads of stories in there about musicians and other artists. And I think that's, that's having the freedom. To, I personally am not a believer in um, the channel thinking model of, I want my children to go into this type of thing because of the value monetary wise. Mm. I want them to try a lot of things. I'm not going to say no to anything. It's slightly frustrating when your kid says, I want to do cry and then gives it up after a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to try tennis and gives it up after a month. But I'm trying to sh stay true to this mantra is let them try it and see where it reaches. They land in a place where they find what's right for them. And hopefully at that point, they'll understand the answer to what makes me happy, what are my values, mm -hmm. and is there something that pays money? And if not, then just answer that bloody advert. <laughs> 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 On you go. <laughs> From my perspective, to pick up on, I think for me, it's, and it took me, a, it, it, took me, it took me a lot later, I think, because, the cul because of culturally it was that expectation of you're going to progress, progress is like almost let, I think for me, progression shouldn't be your driver. More money, higher grades should never be your driver. There's a financial impact for all of us, right? It's got, I think, be really self-aware, understand what you need. I think the value of things are a really good point. What do you want out of it? Because what you end up, I think what happens is you sort of, you know, it becomes all-encompassing and a bit of an obsession. And it can be quite dangerous because you will look at people who are definitely not as good as you, and we've all got those people. And... You look and you wonder why me, why not me? So I think there's something about just being confident in what you can do. Be very self-aware of where your strengths and weaknesses are. Use your peers, your mentors, people you can trust to just say, what are you doing that for? And I, you know, again, I, good leaders for me have been about saying, Liz, why do you want to do that? You know, and challenging me on, on my perceptions as well. So I think that's, that's for me, is that self-awareness as well. And I do... I do think that values point is really being re almost having that analysis piece yourself. What do I want? Why do I want it as well in terms of that, I think. So, yeah, that would be my advice on that one. Don't panic. <laughs>